Welcome to the Run Academy podcast, the show where we talk everything running. Join me each week as I have special guests that share their inspirational running journeys, as well as give you practical advice and tips on how to run your best. If you're ready to transform your body and your mind through the power of running, this is the show for you. Hello and thank you for joining the Run Academy podcast. This is Ian Ammon. I'm so excited to have you guys join me this week and I'm really, really excited to have my personal mentor on the line with me today, Martin Parnell. Now this guy is someone that is, I've had the luxury and the privilege of getting to know over the last few years. Martin is an international keynote speaker. He's been on TED. He's an author. He's authored the book Marathon Quest, Running to the Edge. And the Secret Marathon, that's a brand new book that we're going to talk about today. He's a multi Guinness record holder, one of those records being 250 marathons in a single year. In 2010, Martin started a thing called Quest for Kids, and since then has completed over 10 quests and has raised over a million dollars for organizations such as Right to Play. And in 2012, Martin received the Diamond Jubilee Medal from Queen Elizabeth II. If that doesn't top it all off, this is who Martin Parnell is. And just a super, super cool guy. He's done some really fun things. And just someone that has inspired the running community and beyond. So, uh, Martin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing good. Thank you, uh, Ian. Um, a little bit windy here in Cochrane. Uh, it's kind of howling outside, so I'm just glad I'm inside. No kidding, hey. And so for our non-Canadian friends or, you know, like that don't understand what Chinooks are, this is what's happening today. I'm I'm not too far down the road from from you and so we're getting the same thing. It is like absolutely blowing like crazy to the point where there's no running happening yet. I went actually took my dog for a walk this morning and almost got blown over just walking down the road. So hopefully tonight we can I can get a run in once the if the wind calms down, but it, it always brings warm weather and keeps the snow away. So there's always kind of that balance between the two things, hey? Yeah, that's for sure. I know it's it's a yeah, it's a funny phenomenon. You know, we're just in the foothills of the mountains, and uh, you know, we can get some pretty cold weather. But when a chinook comes in, it can it can go from minus twenty to plus ten in in a few hours. So it's a pretty cr- no you know kid. pretty crazy thing. You know? And then we get the headaches and all the things that come with those massive pressure changes. So it's kind of the the pros and cons of living where we do. It's beautiful country, but you know that's definitely part of it. So. Anyways, Martin, I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. You've got so much going on and some really cool things that we want to get into. Um, one of the things I thought we could start with, first of all, as we you know, sort of share some of the really big things you've got going on is I'd love for our audience to know a little bit more about your own personal running journey. We have a lot of people that are, have learned to run later in life and are just you know, start starting out looking for tips, advice. And so I think it's always cool when we talk to people like you who have done these epic running things that we get a sense of like, where did your running journey begin? So could you tell us just a little bit about when did you start running? What sort of has your running looked like over the years? Yeah, for sure, Ian. Uh, so I was late. I was late to running. I, I didn't start running till I was 47. Uh, to be honest, I had no interest in running. Um, you know, I like, I like sport, you know, like team sports. I enjoy tennis, maybe a little bit of golf. Uh, but no, running was not, was not on my radar until in December uh, 2002, my brother, younger brother, Peter, challenged me to a marathon. I've got another brother, Andrew. We're, you know, we're kind of competitive in different sports, but this one came out of left field. And of course, I just said yes right away. I mean, you don't, you don't hesitate when a brother challenges you to do something. So, but the issue Especially was- Especially a little bit younger brother. 
well, this is it. You know what? You can't, there's no messing around. So I put the phone down and I thought, well, my gosh, what am I going to do now? So, so that night I was living in Sudbury, Ontario, a northern, a northern Ontario town. It was, it was snowy. It was cold. But I went out and I ran 1K out and 1K back. And to be honest, Ian, it was horrendous. I mean, I got soaking wet. I was cold. I had tennis shoes on. I had, you know, cotton pants and a fleecy top and, and a toque. And uh, it just wasn't a good thing. But, uh, you know, I knew I couldn't back down. So I decided to get help. And that's kind of been a, you know, a trait I've had all the way through this running journey. I joined the uh, Sudbury Rocks Running Club and they really helped me over the next six months to prepare for that very first marathon in July 2003, which was the Calgary Marathon. And so since then, you've done some amazing things. So how did you go from like 2003, getting, you know, training up for that first marathon to, you know, not that many years later, deciding you should do 250 in a single year? What was the switch there? Well, yeah, there was no switch. It was, it was a journey for sure, seven years. Uh, but what I found is uh, I, I did the marathon in 2003, and I found that I, I, really, enjoyed, I really enjoyed running. Um, as a kid, I was a bit of a tubby kid. I was always picked last for the soccer team or the rugby team or the cricket team. Never really was any good at anything. But suddenly at the, at the ripo age of 48, I found that, oh, boy, I, like, I kind of like this running. And also, Ian, running filled a gap in my life um, in two, late 2001 my wife, Wendy, had passed away from cancer and, and I was in a very dark place and running filled a huge gap for me. And so I continued on my journey of running marathons. I qualified for Boston. Uh, I then got into a triathlon. I moved to Cochrane, started in a triathlon. Um, and what I found is I, I'm very good, Ian, uh, if I may say so, at doing long, slow, boring things. I, I don't listen to music. And I can just keep going and going. And so from, from Ironman Triathlon, I started doing ultras. And I got up from the 100K up to the 160K, 100-mile race in Lethbridge. And so over that time, I, I was definitely you know, taking my running further and further. But also, um, I wanted to give back. And a friend introduced me to the children's charity Right to Play, who used sport to teach children life skills, be it uh, team building, conflict resolution, or leadership. And the idea crossed my mind to use my running uh, as a fundraiser to raise funds for Right to Play. And it started off you know, with a marathon, but then I must say one day when I was training for the 100 miler, I was doing three marathons a week. And the idea of doing, well, 250 marathons in one year kind of popped into my brain. And uh, yeah, I talked to my wife, Sue, and we talked to the local doctor. And on January the 1st, 2010, I did the very first marathon around the foothills of Cochrane, uh, the first one of 250. Crazy, crazy. And you know, it's funny because one of the things that I've, I've heard as a theme from a lot of people like yourself is that you take your running and you turn it into something that's beyond just sort of, you know, the sort of the impact it has on you. And obviously it's something that's, like you say, it's a, it's a huge part of who you are, but you've also turned that outward. And I believe I read something recently that is over like, like $1.3 million you've raised um, for such organizations like Right to Play over the years, which is just um, so 
inspiring and so amazing um, that you know one person can have such a huge impact on so many people. I thought I think I saw something like twenty seven thousand kids or something have been impacted by your work. So um, that's just that's so so awesome and just something that's so inspiring to people. I think that are starting and and what's cool to me as well is you started running when you're forty seven and so it's not like you've been running forever and ever. And look at how much impact you've had in, in the short time that you have been running. Um, so we really appreciate sort of hearing that because I think it helps our some people are like, man, I'm too old to start. You're, and I don't think that's the case at all. We're going to talk a little bit here in a, in a bit about sort of a really cool challenge you just did and a documentary you're shooting. Um, but I want to start off talking a little bit about uh, the secret marathon. It ties into the book that you just released, an upcoming film you've got going on. Um, and as we set up into sort of talking about this, I really like to hear about this is, um, before you just, you had something happen to you physically, you had a blood clot and uh, it was a life threatening situation for you, um, where you couldn't even walk, let alone run. And that sort of sparked you to do something epic again. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of, um, this blood clot and how it sort of led you into this finding out, learning about this, uh, this secret marathon and how that all unfolded for you? Yeah, it's been a, Ian, it's been a wacky journey. I, <laughs> you know, I never would have, you know, I'm a mining engineer. That's my, that was, you know, what I did as a career. I worked in mines all over Canada and, and then, to, you know, through, through life-changing experiences, I end up on this running journey. And as you mentioned, you know, these 10 quests from 2010 to 2014 included five Guinness World Records and running around uh, the coast of England, part of England, and then climbing Kilimanjaro in 21 hours. And that, that all finished um, at the end of 2014. And as you said, we raised over 1.3 million for Right to Play. And so the idea or the plan was, okay, that's done. Now I would start my uh, professional speaking career and I would you know, share the, share the message. But in February of 2015, so just a month and a half after we finished, I finished the Quest for Kids, I was in Winnipeg uh, at a conference, um, a parks and recreation conference to give a keynote speech. And but I went there and I wasn't feeling well. I, I had a terrible headaches and I was feeling sick. I had, was taking some Tylenol. That really wasn't helping. But I arrived at the hotel in Winnipeg and the organizer, Suzanne, said, oh, Martin, you look terrible. And she says, I'm taking you to the hospital. So she that right there and then she took me to the, the Grace Hospital and they did a CT scan. And an hour later, as we waited, an hour later, they, they came back and said, you've got a massive clot on the brain. And they right away, they put me into an induced coma. And my poor wife, Sue, she got a phone call right away. It, and it wasn't me saying, I'm coming home tomorrow. It was a hospital saying, get to Winnipeg now. We don't know how long he's got. And I was in an induced coma oh for 24 hours. It was unreal. I was in this induced coma for 24 hours. Um, I, I was totally out of it. I was on morphine. I was on blood thinners, blood pressure pills. And suddenly, Ian, and this is where, you know, when, when something happens to yourself or, you know, to family or friends that is totally out of your control, suddenly from doing all those marathons and being so active, I suddenly needed help to go the 20 feet from the, the, the hospital bed to the washroom. I needed help. I couldn't do it on my own. And so my life just totally flipped around. Um, I was I came back to, to, to Cochrane two weeks later, but I was I was in a long, long recovery. For three months, I just sat on the sofa and looked out the window. And, and, and even worse, I had kind of this double vision due to the, the pressure on the optic nerve. I, I couldn't do anything. I was on a cocktail of drugs. Slowly, I started walking. 
And it wasn't for six months until I actually did my first one kilometer kind of little run. And that was in October. And what happened is in the middle of October, my wife, Sue, gave me an article uh, from the from the Guardian newspaper. And I think she wanted, you know, to show me show me something there that was that would inspire me. And what it was, it was about the very first Afghan woman to run a marathon. The very first. Her name was Zanab. And she had been training in Kabul, but the trouble was uh, people, mainly men, were yelling at her, you're a prostitute, you know, get off the pavement, you know, get off the street. And they would throw chunks of concrete at her to stop her running. So she went home and she ran inside her walled garden around and around and around for hours on end in training. And in October 2015, uh, in a race or in a marathon in the, in the town of Barmian, um, 140 kilometers northwest of Kabul, up in the, the foothills of the Hindu Kish Mountains. Uh, there was a 60 runners in this very inaugural, in the very first race. Ten of them were international runners. The other 60 were Afghan men, except for Zanab, and she was the very first Afghan woman. And when I read that, Ian, I, I, it, it hit me like, and that was a switch. Right there, uh, you know, I read that, and I was so disgusted and so mad that this woman, just because she was a woman, was being a abused um, verbally and physically for running. And so I said to Sue, Sue, if I get better and if I can run again, and if I can run a marathon, I'm going to go next year and run with Zanab and support her uh, in her quest to run for freedom and equality. And one year later, uh, Ian, I was on a plane to Kabul. That is so cool. That is so cool. And, and so um, you ended up like what I, I just, as I listened to you tell me that, that it's just, you know, such that's so typical of who you are, Martin. Because it's not only like most people, I think, like just thinking about your recovery. Like not only are you thinking about, man, I gotta, I gotta step up and I gotta do something for this for this woman here and and really sort of raise another voice and really do what you do. I think that's so so cool. And so you read about this this um, seeker marathon, this woman that has ran the first ever marathon, um, and then you decide you're going to head over there. And um, so you under, I, you involve a local film right, filmmaker, Kate McKenzie, um, and, and really looking to sort of shine a light on what's, you know, this, some of these inequalities and, and this huge issue that you see there. Um, and that sparks you guys to head down there and uh, join this race in October of 2016. Um, but this was a pretty dangerous task and a very dangerous pursuit here. So there was this was a pretty risky thing you guys did by heading down there, hey? Yeah, Ian, I tell you, it was, uh, you know, once I sort of got it in my head that I wanted to go over, I mean, the, the challenges just started from there. I had no idea, you know, what I needed to do from a from visa, from your point of view, from actually getting over there, uh, from insurance, and on and on and on. And of course, you know, what we what we hear on the news, I mean, it's relentless, is the terrorist bombings, the suicide bombings. We hear about the Taliban, ISIS. And, you know, it's, it's just, it sort of makes you wonder, is this even possible? But, you know, like anything, you've got to do your own digging. You've got to talk to people. You've got to assess the situation. And and Sue was very concerned. I, you know, I won't lie to you. And so, you know, I, I luckily I have some friends actually in Cochrane who have spent time in Afghanistan. Uh, even recently. And so I slowly built up a kind of a, a picture of how I thought it was possible. Um, I hooked up with a group called Untamed Borders. They are the travel group that uh, took the international runners over. I was very impressed with their founder, uh, James Wilcox, and, and his approach to, to the travel. And so slowly, slowly, 
I figured out a way of doing it. And along, as you say, along the way, I met, I met Kate, Kate McKenzie, uh, teacher, filmmaker. And when Kate heard the story, she said, boy, we've got to, we've got to record this. So, so we got some great help from uh, Viz Communications, a local uh, telecommunication company, uh, supported us financially on getting the film crew over there. And so, yeah, we went over and took a film crew. And actually, uh, Kate did her very first marathon in Afghanistan. I gave her a training program. So that was her first marathon. So cool. So she, so you guys headed over there, um, and that was October 2016, correct? That's correct. You know, just a year after, after I'd read the article, uh, you know, Kate went over with myself, uh, Colin, Colin and Liam went over. They were the, uh, the camera person and the, and the sound person. And yeah, I mean, we had an amazing uh, 11 days in Afghanistan, a couple of days in Kabul, but then up to the town of Bamiyan, uh, who was the, the, the town that hosted uh, this event. It's at 9,000 feet uh, in the foothills of the Hindu Kush mountains. And uh, the, the, the marathon itself, this time there was 100 runners, 100 uh, participants, and this time there were six Afghan women. And one of them, her name was Cooper. Unfortunately, Zanab couldn't make the race, but I ended up running with Cooper. And Cooper's story was kind of heartbreaking. Four months before, uh, four, uh, four of her friends uh, that she was training with were killed in a terrorist attack. And she had stopped training. And she really thought that she would not do the marathon. But we chatted. And I said, Cooper, why don't we run together and see if we can do this marathon in under the seven hour uh, time limit? And she said, absolutely, let's work together. So on the day of the race, the, uh, the gun went, on at eight, went off at eight in the morning and Cooper and I hung back. I, I, I run nine minutes and walk one. That's kind of my approach to, to, the, to the ultras and the marathons. Um, the, it was an out and back, but the first half went from 9,000 to 10,200 feet. It was, a, it was uphill all the way. And uh, Cooper was suffering. She had stomach cramps. We got to the halfway mark at three hours and 36 minutes, Ian. And we, you know, we weren't going to make it. Like, we weren't going to make the seven-hour cutoff. But we, but we started back down. Cooper started to run. But then, uh, boy, you know, she, it was getting tougher and tougher for her. But along the way, people were yelling. There was children and people yelling at us. And I kind of wondered what they were saying. And she said, oh, they're yelling, they're <laughs> yelling best of luck and, and run faster, which I think we've all heard um, uh-huh. at any race we've been at. <laughs> you're almost, you're almost there. there. Exactly. But, but the one that was interesting is there was, there was a couple of women ran out from their houses and they were waving at us into their houses. And I said to Cooper, what are, they, what are these women doing? Oh, she says, they, they want us to come in because we look hot and sweaty and dusty and they don't really understand what a marathon is. They just, they just said, we look tired. They didn't know why we were running. So that was kind of cool. That these that these women oh my wanted to give her cups of tea to you know because we were we were we were working so hard so anyway we 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 kept going we were walking a lot um, we had twenty minutes left to do the last two k and Cooper starts to run and we came in at six hours and fifty two minutes so we had eight hour eight minutes um, left before the cutoff so it was a thrill to be able to run with Cooper and help her achieve her dream. That is so awesome. And the secret part too, if I understand, is that um, the actual race course isn't revealed until just before the event, right? Because for a lot of reasons. So is that true? Is there something to do with like you can't, they don't disclose where that course is going to be? Yeah, exactly. In fact, we were told, we were told before the race uh, not to mention anything to, you know, on social media, we were told not to mention the date. 
And when we got there, uh, the the route was not revealed to us until two days before the event, and that is because of security. You know, there is a con- obviously a concern of, of security. We had armed we had armed soldiers um, as protection during the race. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a very delicate situation. The, the 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 women and the men want to run the race, but as you can appreciate, no matter where you are in Afghanistan, there is always security uh, concerns. No kidding. No kidding. How and so for yourself personally, you had you it wasn't that long before you had barely like you were sharing earlier, you could hardly walk and you were just sort of coming through this recovery, you know, it was not that much time had passed by and you're on a plane over to Afghanistan. How scary was that for you? You know, did you have any sort of lingering fears of, you know, what happens if I have health issues down where I'm when I'm overseas or or did did that even come as a, as an issue or is there any sort of physical challenges you had while you were in Afghanistan? Well, I think I think you know, to be honest, Ian, I think when I decided to to try and and go to Afghanistan and support Zanab, I think that aided my recovery. I had a goal to shoot for and I think I think that's important, you know, for all of us when when you know maybe we're going through a difficult time or you know we're looking for direction is to pick a goal and that seems to spur us on both mentally and physically so i believe that having that goal helped me recover um i did i did uh, you know make make the the statement to sue that look and if i'm not healthy enough i'm not going so i did build up my running and i did run the um the 2016 calgary marathon which showed that okay i i you know, I was back. I could run a marathon, uh, but but the concern was things like uh, the altitude. Um, you know, you just uh, food. There's so many other issues. But I have to say that uh, through through the doctors, through the specialists, um, my recovery. I was so fortunate. There was no bleed on the brain, um, and I just you know. But for the grace of God, I was in a place like Winnipeg, or in Canada, where I could get the treatment I needed. So, with a lot of help from a lot of people. Um, I felt like I went to Afghanistan in, in pretty good shape. And, and I was told by the specialist that there was no more likelihood of me getting that clot than anyone else. It was a freak five in a million type of event. So it wasn't a case like I was more uh, yeah. susceptible to the clot. Very cool. So you got, you got yourself refocused. You felt pretty good about your health. You went down there. And so, um, so the, you've written a book, which I know has just came out, called The Secret uh, Marathon. Um, it's You can grab that book on thesecretmarathon.com. It's available on Amazon. Um, and we'll, I'll have links up for everyone to, to catch that because I can't, you know, I was, I was on the website and looking at sort of the trailer because I wanted to talk a little bit about the film um, and sort of the documentary that you're, that you're putting together right now. That has been a huge laborsome uh task for you and your film crew because you you know absolutely telling that story but then also some of the sort of the security and the um the threats and there's a lot of um there's a lot of sort of danger in sort of telling the story and the people that are in your in your documentary the the safety of the individuals i understand is also something that's sort of paramount and so um tell us a little bit about where you are in that documentary process you know releasing the film i think it's going to come out next year you've had some ups and downs with sort of getting it out to the public because of just how serious and how um how how much sort of um safety concerns for the people in it are involved is, is the way I understand it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Ian, you know, both with the book and the film and really anything that, uh, you know, you 
that that we put out on the secret marathon our number one concern is the safety of the of the women and girls involved i mean that's as simple as that so we've worked very closely with them over the last two and a half years in terms of you know what they want to say how they want to be portrayed in fact in the book uh, they wrote their own chapters and segments in the book so you know that's the way they wanted it i i can't tell their stories and their stories, as they've written it, are very raw. In the film, it was the same thing. We we shared everything with the with the women and girls. And uh, the, a situation arose where we were very close to having a finished product. This was a year ago. And one of the women said, "No, I have to come out of the film uh, because of uh, death threats to myself and my family." And of course, that that then we had to change um, everything to re-edit the film and to basically get it ready for this year. And our hope is to have it uh, in a, f- a festival, either Toronto or, or Calgary in September of next year. But it's been, a, it's been a long process. It's critical that we do it the right way. And as I say, we've, you know, number one, number one um, concern is the safety of the girls and women concern, you know, involved. Absolutely. I think, I think that's um, so, so interesting. And also the, the the powerful message that that documentary is going to share, uh, you know, definitely protecting the the individuals, but also just getting that message out because it is so scary to think. And you saw that firsthand, and you know, even if you just kind of go on and watch sort of the the trailer that you have up, it's like, man, like this has people need to realize what is happening in in places like Afghanistan and how how these women are being treated and just sort of, you know. You know, someone like you just to step up and actually shine a light on that, and of course, doing that carefully. So I can't wait to see that come out. I, I'm so I, when I watch, like, man, I want to watch that right away. So I will watch for that for sure. And like I say, for people that are interested in sort of tracking, learning more, getting to know a little bit about that, thesecretmarathon.com. You can actually go in and do some reading. You can see the clips. You can learn a little bit more about that and get you know get sort of up to date. There's another thing that you're still you're doing as well within that website and sort of beyond that project is you've got a the secret marathon race. Now you did that last year for the very first time and um, now you're doing it again this year. That's going to be on March the 6th, 2019. It's a 3K run and I believe that's across 18 locations across Canada. You've partnered up with the running room. It's a 3K run where the aim is to continue to raise um, – money and and you know, bring awareness to this cause. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because this is, uh, I think this is a way people can get involved um, both in Canada but also globally. Uh, what happened is after the uh, 2016 Marathon Afghanistan, uh, Kate, Kate McKenzie was actually doing the Ottawa Half Marathon and in, uh, in May of 2017 and John Stanton from The Running Room spotted the 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 race shirt she was wearing the marathon of afghanistan race shirt and kate explained to john exactly you know why we had gone over there and right away john said i want i want to be part of that let's do something to spread the word in canada and so uh, in march of this year we had the very first uh secret marathon 3k uh it's a run or walk um and it was at 10 locations uh, across Canada, and also the the emphasis is yes, it's about the girls and women in Afghanistan, but also the focus is um, safe places, safe races, and it's about how us in Canada, men or women, you know, there's still um, a concern where we when we run sometimes, 
you know, you're out at night, uh, there's, there's potential, you know, for, for being attacked or whatever. And so also I think it's something we need to be aware of where we live about this. There's got to be places where especially women can go and run where there is no, you know, where they're, they're not going to be abused, you know, for being out there. So, um, as you mentioned, this next one's on March the 6th, um, 18 locations in Canada. But what's really exciting is we also have a virtual location option where everything is downloadable. You can download uh, the bib. You can download the finisher certificate. There's a downloadable 3, uh, 3K training program and also uh, wristbands. And so last year, we or in, the, in uh, March of this year, the first one, we had people in northern Canada, in the U.S., in the U.K., and in Afghanistan running as a virtual location participant. And so uh, you just sign up at the, at the running room, $15, and then you can download everything you need to hold your own Secret Marathon 3K. Very cool. So we're, you know, it sounds like this, you know, it sounds like this is something that's going to continue to get grow and grow every year. And it sounds like even this year it's going to be bigger. So, and I love the fact that it's accessible, um, distance wise. And I, I think the course is also secret until just before too. So, um, I think that's phenomenal. I think it's going to be a really neat way because I think a lot of people want to be involved in something they want to, you know, they hear this type of story they want to respond, and the fact that it's not a full marathon, it, it, it includes a lot more people, and so that's very, very exciting, very, very cool. Um, it segues also into your. You have another run that I just want to make sure we mention as well. This is your ninth annual. You've been putting on a run walk in your hometown of Cochrane for for quite a few years now too. That's going to come up. That's on December thirty first, um, and you have the marathon distance all the way up to a two k event. Um, and the funds that you're raising from, from that event also go to, uh, it's called Free to Run, Empowering Women and Girls Through uh, Sport in Iraq. So really this focus on, on really, you know, that same, um, same thing. So um, if you tell us a little quick sort of snippet about your, your own run and walk that you've hosted oh, for yes, quite a few years now. Yeah, number nine, uh, December 31st uh, in Cochrane at the Spray Lake Sports Center. Uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a funky little event. So uh, it starts at nine o'clock and it's and there's a 2K loop along the uh, Bow River. So marathon runners start at nine. So generally we get about 20 marathon runners and we all start off at nine. But then the half marathon runners join us at noon because it's a 2K loop and they join us and we just keep going. And then at 1.30, the 10K is join us. And then at 2.15, the 5K is join us. And at 2.40, the 2K is. So it's... It, you know, in a normal race, everyone starts together and finishes at different times. Well, here we start at different times and then we all finish together. And it's kind of cool. There's there's only one aid station, which is inside. But of course, if you're running 2K loops, uh, you can you can um, uh, you can you know hit it 16 times in a or whatever 18 times in a in a uh, uh, in a marathon. So yes, it's a super cool event. Everybody welcome, and, and it's just registration on the day by donation. Excellent. Cool. And I will make sure we'll link that up in the show notes as well um, for people that are interested that want to come and join that event. It's a great event. And it's like you said, I love that. The fact that it's, you know, like the way you've got the time staggered out and that's great. Are you, and I'm assuming you're running then too. Are you doing the marathon? I have the, yes, yes. Yeah. I really couldn't, I, I really couldn't do any are. other distance. So no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the marathon. Yeah. 
No one would let you do any other days. Okay, so that's great. So if you want to get out and run with Martin, uh, December 31st at his ninth annual run walk, um, which is cool. And so that's we'll link that up as well. Um, that's coming up very quickly here. And, and uh, the way the weather is in Cochrane, it's going to be a fantastic day to go out and, uh, and do that. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, Martin, was just sort of as, you know, I'm sure people that have known you and have got to know you over the, the last half hour here, you're somebody that just continually is pushing yourself. And, um, you know, it, all those things you sort of shared about what you've been, what's going on, what you have in the works and some of your projects, that's enough, but that's not enough for you. Um, you're also doing, uh, you're working, you're just about to release here a TELUS uh, a film, um, called The Ageless Athlete, I believe, and you're doing this challenge called 62 Beats 47, and you actually were just in Sacramento at the same time I was. Um, so tell us a little bit about what this whole challenge is, what this the new documentary is that you're doing um, around this whole yeah, challenge. Yeah, uh, Ian, very interesting. So, you know, over the last, gosh, 10 years, I've been doing kind of longer, longer, slower runs, uh, ultra running, and so on, and, and I must admit, it's, it's been good. But I've sort of, I wondered recently whether I've lost all my speed, whether, you know, that's just kind of gone and that was in the past. So I decided to make a little project um, and basically called it 62 Beats 47 because I set my four personal bests back in 2003 at the age of 47. So that was for the 5K, the 10K, the half marathon and the marathon. And I thought, well, is it possible 15 years later to beat those personal bests. That was the project in one year. So I hired a coach, uh, uh, Mokum Kent, excellent coach, local local person in, in Cochrane. But, but I know Mok and his, and his uh, approach to coaching, very hands-on. Uh, he loves data and so do I. So over this last year, uh, I've been training, doing lots of different training, stretching, doing many different things. And uh, over the year, have been attempting to beat those those personal bests. And as you said, just recently, uh, two weeks ago, I was in Sacramento to tackle the marathon and see if I could, if it was possible for a 62-year-old to beat their own 47-year-old personal best. And how did that go? I'm not going to tell you. Good Lord. It's <laughs> it's coming up. <laughs> Yeah, come on now. No, all oh, else, all else. Oh, we got to. You're going to have to wait and watch it because all I'm going to say is, Watch the movie. You're going okay. to have to watch the documentary. It was very interesting process, and there were some highs, there were some lows, uh, but overall, it was I think a fascinating exercise on you know goal setting, challenging yourself. Which I you know I think really that's what life's about. It's not how so much how we do against other people. It's you know what can you do to challenge yourself and to establish and to find your full potential. So I think that comes out in the documentary. That's awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing that as well. Um, Sacramento wasn't a cakewalk, I know either. And we, I, I ran it myself. I had two athletes that I trained were running as well. It was, it's not an easy course. Um, and it's so... Um, I think it's uh, you picked an interesting one to go in and try and put down a personal best. I love the fact that you are continually pushing yourself forward. And I think, you know, was, there's so much mental... Um, game that goes on is, is sort of like your mindset against how you perceive your potential, what you're capable of. You're obviously someone that's dialed in mentally around, you know, not 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 allowing yourself to believe what the limits are, and and constantly challenging yourself, and almost maybe reminding yourself that, you know, 
what your potential really is, where your limit is, is much greater than than you you may think. So I think that is so cool. I can't wait to watch that and see. Uh, I saw little clips here and there on social media from your film crew that were out on the race course in Sacramento, capturing a few clips as you went by, and and I felt for you because I knew, you know, kind of how hard that race was too. So I can't wait to see it all come together and, and uh, watch that. So when is that coming out? Is that when do you expect that to be uh, something that we can take in? Yeah, I think uh, that it's going to be shown on on Telus in April, and then we're trying to get it into hot docs. So I can actually keep you you know in touch on when it's coming out for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Let us know, and we'll share that with the community. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing that. We're looking forward to seeing the Secret Marathon when that comes out. Um, I encourage um, our listeners to grab a copy of the book, which is available now online, like I mentioned, um, on at thesecretmarathon.com and on Amazon as well, wherever you want to grab that. Uh, Martin, I just want to say thank you so much for carving out some time. I know you're like a ridiculously busy guy. I think we all get that too from just listening to you talk. Um, I want to say thank you for sort of all the great work you're doing and just the, you know, the example you're leading for us in the running community as far as just never settling, always pushing yourself, always finding those challenges that keeps you moving forward. And I think that's something that we can all sort of connect and relate to is that wherever you are in life, whatever age, whatever fitness level, whatever sort of challenges, there's always something that you can find that sort of motivates you and sparks you uh, to keep going. And so I just thank you for being such a great inspirational uh, leader in that space. And so um, thank you for the time. Any last thoughts, closing words, things you want to plug out before we, before we call it, uh, call it a wrap? Yeah, you bet. Ian. Well, you know, again, thank you so much for, for having me on the show. Um, I've known you for, for a number of years now, and I'm so impressed with what you've done, um, both, you know, personally with your family and then for other people. And, you know, I think the key is we can all do something. I mean, it, it you know, I, I was late to running. Um, I didn't have a clue what I was going to be doing it, you know, you know, for or for who, but I think let's, you know, let's get involved. Let's look at where there's a need and see if we can give back. I think the other thing is have fun. You know, this is, you know, we're doing this, you know, hopefully because you know, we want to do it and we, you know, we get a kick out of doing it. So have fun with it. Don't beat yourself up too much if you don't stick to every, you know, training, you know, training regime. But uh, yeah, just enjoy life and, you know, share it with others for sure. Thank you very much, Martin. Great words. Great way to sort of close it out there. So thank you very much uh, for sharing that with us. And guys, thank you very much again for tuning into this episode. Uh, we'll link up everything in the show notes. Uh, the message I think to walk away with today is the fact that your potential is much greater than you think. And as Martin suggests, go out there and push yourself, but have fun. Look for those ways to sort of stay motivated, stay moving forward, keep challenging yourself, and you'll be surprised by where you can go. So thank you very much, Martin. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Share this. Help, help get the word out of our podcast. This is episode number five. We're just getting this thing started. So thanks for listening. Have a great week. Happy running, and we'll talk to you guys next time.